If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open to Luke chapter 12. Uh, We're going to be looking today at verses 4 through 20. Uh, And this is really sort of a two-part sermon. Um, We're going to see 4 through 20 this week, and then we're going to pick up and move ahead next week. But it's really, the the passage is tied together. Um, But for for our sake, I I split it in half, and I know you'll be pleased with that. But I did, I split it in half. So uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 20. Let's read God's word together. It says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear for those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetedness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your holy and inerrant word, uh, Father, we pray that you would be pleased uh, to teach us uh, by your spirit, that you would work in our lives in a mighty way. Uh, Lord, we need you. Uh, we, we cannot penetrate our hearts with these words in a way that, that would make any difference at all. But Lord, you can. And so we pray that, that you would be pleased to do that even now. Uh, in this time, help us to see our, our hearts. Help us to see Jesus. And we ask all of these things in his name. Amen. No fear. Uh, Well, if you grew up in the early 90s like I did, uh, then you will be familiar with that little phrase, no fear, and you will probably remember it uh, either as a slogan for like extreme sports apparel, you know, like the X Games was a big deal, and so you would have hats and shirts that said no fear, or or you might remember it as I do uh, as sort of a mantra that would appear on the back window of really loud, really big four-wheel drive trucks. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Now, some of you may have had trucks like that, and if you did, I don't want you to get the wrong idea here. The truth is, is as a teenage boy, 
I really thought trucks like that were awesome. And I really, I think maybe uh, Annie Covington really likes those trucks too. Sorry, Annie. But um, anyway, I really, and, and that feeling only increased when I moved to Ingemar, Mississippi, where in Ingemar, Mississippi, it was a competition to see who could have the loudest, biggest, most, most gaudy truck of them all. Now, the reality was, is I was in no danger of winning that competition. I had a single cab uh, Toyota pickup truck that I barely fit in myself because I was really, really tall. So I was not going to win that. But I appreciated those people who were really making a good effort at it. So don't, don't be offended when I say those things. But I think maybe behind all of that competition, behind all of those things we did to our truck, was that feeling... Uh, that in the wheels, in the mufflers, in the speakers, that, that we were sort of invincible, right? Well, we had this feeling, at least as guys, that, that we could do anything, that we weren't afraid of anything. And so just to make it clear to everyone, we would plaster on our back glass those words, no fear, just so everybody would be really clear on what was happening here. Now, at some point, for most of us, Reality sets in, doesn't it? Uh, loud noises become less appealing. Gas mileage becomes uh, an issue that we really need to consider. Um, and maybe we don't quite have the desire that we once had to be seen by everybody as we d drive down the street. Uh, but most importantly for us today, I think at some point we all realize uh, that that idea of invincibility, that idea of no fear, it's pretty difficult to maintain, right? Even though we may claim it, the truth is, is that if fear is not a constant companion with us, it certainly is an intruder that we have to deal with over and over and over again in our lives, right? Now look, I could point to any number of statistics that, that would play this out for us. Uh, we can all look at our TVs and see the discussions that are happening in the media, uh, in the medical field, in sports, about mental health. And look, those are legitimate conversations. I'm not saying they're not. But you could see the, the reality of what we're dealing with there. You could point to the pharmaceutical world and see how we are almost dependent on artificial means to get us through each day. And again, that's not a, that's not a statement for or against those means. It's just the reality that we're living in, right? Uh, if you look out at the world, the point is, if you look out at the world, we could see the truth of our anxieties, of our fears. But uh, we don't have to do that, do we? We don't have to look out there to know that, that we are anxious. No. If we take any kind of honest assessment of our own hearts, the reality will be true. Every single one of us walk through those doors today bearing a heavy load of worries, bearing a heavy load of burdens, of fears, for ourselves, for others, of fears both for today and for tomorrow and for the future. And even though as God's people we cry out to him for relief, even though as God's people we pray that he might take these things away from us, the simple fact is, is we're anxious. The simple fact is, is we are maybe more fearful than we have ever been. Now that begs the question, why? That begs the question of why, even as God's people, do we feel this way? And maybe even more importantly than that, 
is, is there a solution? Can we have peace? Is there a way that, that we cannot be anxious, even as we live in a world that is ever-changing, that is never the same? Can we live with no fear? Here in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is going to suggest that, that maybe we can. He's going to suggest that we can at the very least have peace And he's going to show us how by first pointing us to the root of our fears. That's what we're going to see today. He's going to give us sort of the diagnoses. He's going to show us why it is that we find ourselves so anxious all the time. Then he's going to take us to the solution. Then he's going to give us the cure. He's going to help us see that, that as his people, we were meant to be, and we were meant, and we can live with no fear. And so that's what I want us to see over the course of the next two weeks today. We're going to start with the diagnosis. So let's look at it together. First here, you see the root of the problem, the root of the problem. And this is where we'll spend the majority of our time today. Now, now what we're going to see here is that our issue, our anxieties, our fears, they really boil down to a matter of perspective. Let me say that to you again because it's going to be really important as we work through. Our fears and our anxieties, they boil down to a matter of perspective. Admittedly, I'm showing my hand right here at the front. You're not supposed to do that as a preacher. You're supposed to keep it to the end. But I'm showing it to you now because as we work through, I want you to keep that before your minds. And he does it by first pointing us to to two things that manifest themselves, that show our fear, our anxiety in the world. Two things that we are afraid of. First, he points us to the fear of men. And he does it there in verses 4 through 7. Let me read verse 4 to you again. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do to you. In other words, Jesus is saying to his disciples, men, he is getting ready to send out into a hostile world, a world who does not love Jesus, a world who does not acknowledge Jesus. He's saying to them, don't fear the people that you are going to encounter there. People who, yes, may have power over you. People who may imprison you. People who may torture you or crucify you upside down or who may have you killed in in any number of horrible ways. He says, don't fear them. And we need to pause there just for a minute. You know, the truth is, is as we hear that, we, we may feel a little bit of anxiety for the disciples in their time. But the truth is, praise God. We may not feel that anxiety for ourselves because our lives are not yet threatened for our faith. And that time may come, but at this moment, that's not the reality that we experience. But though we may claim to to fear no man here in America, I want you to consider all the ways that we actually do. All the ways that these words apply to you and I as Christians today. You know, we can all remember back to those days in middle school and high school and college when the opinions of others seemed so important to us, right? When when it seemed that that our whole world hung on what so-and-so might say about us. Now, at some point, we think we move past that. But the reality is, is I don't think we do. 
Even as adults, our desire is to impress and it's to, it's to please those around us. Think about how much our value and our self-worth is wrapped up in the opinions, the favorable opinions, of those that maybe we work with, of those who we think have power over us. Think about how we fear those who might gossip about us, who might can control the trajectory of our careers or our financial positions. Think about how willingly we compromise the gospel. We compromise God's command simply to, to please others. Those little white lies we tell to get ahead with our boss. That, that degrading story we tell about a coworker or a friend so others will see us in a different light. Those things that we say or do just so that people will think that, that we're cool or that, that we are, are fun to be around. I realize all of that sounds very middle schoolish, and no offense to any of you middle schoolers, I have one, I don't mean that derogatorily, but we realize it sounds that way to us. But let's be honest, careers and finances and family security are often built on those things. They're built on the opinions of those in power, and so we will do most anything. We will compromise most anything in order to gain a good position, in order for people to see us in the way that we think is best. And even when we have those opinions, there's still no peace, right? Because we know in our own hearts how easily we are swayed. We know how easily men can change. And so constantly we are fighting to keep that, that, that charade up. We're constantly fighting to make sure people see us in the best possible light. We fear men. But Jesus here tells us not to do that, and I want you to notice his reasoning there. And I don't want us to get too far ahead of ourselves for next week, uh, but it helps to make our point there in verse 4. Uh, again, uh, he says, Don't fear those who could kill the body. And after that, have nothing more they can do to you. In other words, Jesus is reminding us that there are far worse things than the opinions of men. There, there are far worse things than the things that men can do to us, even in the struggles of this life. There are far worse things, and hear me here, than even physical death. Now, I don't know how, if we actually believe that, but that's the point that Jesus is making. There's far worse things than even just dying in this life. Because there's one that we must all face who has power beyond anything that this world knows. Who has power beyond any man here that we must deal with. These folks may seem to have power over earthly things. But the one we will face, he has control of eternity. And as the maker of heaven and earth, he has the authority not only to give life and to take it away, but he also has the authority to cast those who reject him into hell. Now, friends, as, as we look out at the world and as Christians, even today, we don't like to talk about those things. We don't like to hear that that is the reality of Scripture, but it is the reality of Scripture. 
The person that Jesus has in mind here is Almighty God. He controls not only our temporary existence here on earth, but he also controls where we will reside forevermore. Whether that's good or whether that's bad, he is the one who is controlling it. Yes, there are people here on earth we we legitimately submit to. They have legitimate authority over us. But Jesus is saying, don't cower before things temporary. When we know the one who is eternal. When we know the one who has eternal power. And so, again... We don't fear men. But secondly, he also wants us to see here, he points us to another fear, that another way our anxiety often manifests itself. And it's not just with the fear of men, but it's also with the fear of worldly things. The anxiety that, that stems from the desire to want and to have more and more of the things of this world. And so you see that there in verses 13 through 21. Now, again, remember, the overarching point is really the same. Jesus is trying to say the same thing to us. Keep in perspective the reality of this life. Keep in perspective the reality of what is to come. But notice how this passage, this section begins. Someone in the crowd says to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And at first, Jesus is hesitant to do it, right? He realizes why he's coming. It's not to settle financial disputes, which is a a whole sermon in and of itself. What do we really want from Jesus? But uh, we don't have time to to preach that sermon right now. But notice, even in this, Jesus finds a way to, to speak to our condition as men and women. He finds a way to speak to our hearts there in verse 14. He says, man who made me a judge or arbitrator over you. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Not consist in all that we have. Now it's interesting to note how that statement, it really cuts both ways. Jesus here could be speaking to to two different people. He could be speaking on the one hand to the man who has brought his request. And he could be saying to him, hey, don't, don't desire things that you don't have. Don't want more stuff if you don't have it. But he could also be speaking to the man's brother, right? The man who is unwilling to give of the things that he has. He's trying to hoard all of this for himself. And he, so he could be speaking either way. And I like that ambiguity. I like the fact that we don't know. Because as one commentator says, here Jesus is speaking to both the haves and the have-nots. He gets all of us. He's encompassing every single, wherever we see ourselves as far as wealth and as far as things, Jesus is speaking to, to each of us. Now again, I, I want you to consider how timely this is and how difficult this is for us in America in 2022. Again, however you may consider yourself, Think about how easily and how often our hearts desire and how often they stand in opposition to that 10th commandment, uh, to that do not covet, which is what Jesus is saying to us here. Think about how willingly and how easily we covet the things that other people have. From a young age, we are taught if we want something bad enough, we should be able to get it. 
Now, when you couple that with the way we are bombarded with images of the rich and famous, how we are overwhelmed with advertisements for all the latest and greatest things, the, the new technology, the new stuff, new vacations, everything is always there before us, always. And maybe the most dangerous of all, and young people, you hear, hear this, old people, hear this. Social media is killing us, slowly but surely, every single one of us. But think about how every day you have to see the perfect person on Instagram or on whatever you use. I don't know. I don't know these things. But think about it. The perfect life. Teenagers, the, the, the perfect person, the perfect girl, the perfect boy, you see them there. Moms, the perfect family is there before you. And what do our hearts do? Say, Why is my family not like that? I want to be like that. Now, look, we can, we can talk about whether those families are perfect or not, because they're not. It's real easy to make ourselves look really good in one picture a day. But we see those things, and our hearts go wild. They covet all of this stuff. And again, too often, we're willing to compromise to do most anything to get them. But let's be honest. Would getting them really do anything for us? I think it would. Uh, Hollywood, if it does nothing else for us, it, it's proof that having all of the things in the world, it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't give us what we really think it's going to give us. And friends, it's there that our anxiety, it's there that our fears come in. We are either trying for things, for perfection that, that we can never reach, and nobody else can ever reach either, or we lived depressed but because we don't have those things, or we live like the man here in Jesus' parable, constantly trying to hoard and to guard the things that we have. Look at verses 16 through 18. It says, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store up all my grains and all my goods. Does this sound familiar to us? This is sort of the American dream, isn't it? You get as much stuff as you can get. And you, you take care of it, you store it up, you build your, your bank accounts, you build your IRAs, you buy land, you buy a home, you buy as much as you can so that you can have it and you can pass it down and you can get whatever. We, we want to have and to keep as much stuff as we can. But notice, do those things give this man any real security? The answer is no. Jesus says that, that God comes to him and says, hey, tonight, the thing that you have not guarded, the thing that you have not protected, the thing that you cannot store up, your soul is required of you this very night. And all of your stuff, somebody else is now going to have it because you can't take it with you. You lost your very soul because you stored up things here. You stored up nothing 
in heaven. Now, lest we think that this is the only place Jesus says this, you know it's not, but this is the consistent call of Scripture over and over and over again, right? You remember Paul says that the root of all evil is what? It's the love of money. Jesus, in another place, says these very words. Don't, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where things are eternal. And then, of course, Jesus gives that warning. It's easier uh, for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to pass through the gates of heaven. Now, now what's the, the point that I'm trying to make here? Is the point that, that Jesus is trying to make here. That we need to go out and we need to sell all that we have? Maybe. <laughs> the answer may be maybe. You know, if those things have become such an idol to us that we are no longer worshiping or seeing God, then yes, maybe absolutely those things need to be sold. But more to our point today, I think what Jesus is trying to remind us is keep in perspective what is really going to last what's really important, and let go of those things that aren't. Remember what is temporary, and remember what is eternal. And so that's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day, not bread that we can store up for the next 20 years. We pray, give us this day our daily bread. Because we're asking God to do no more than what it's going to take to sustain us each day, day in and day out. And guess what we don't do? We don't think past that. We think only to, to what God is going to do for us. He's promised to take care of us today, to take care of each day for us. And so we trust that he is absolutely going to do that. We look, again, not to the temporary. We look to the eternal. Now, as we come to our conclusion here, I realize that at this point, we have not really dealt with our fears or anxieties in any real way. Uh, we have only pointed ourselves to their reality, and we've only looked to, to two of the causes, or maybe the way they manifest themselves in our lives. Not only that, but, but in verse 5, Jesus seems to sort of transfer our fears from one place to another. And we're going to come back next week and try to clean some of that up, try, try to settle out what exactly it is Jesus is saying. But for now, I want us to live with the tension. I want us to live with this idea of anxieties and fears and that as humans generally, and even as Christians specifically, the great majority of our issue here is at the very least our anxieties and fears are misplaced because we fail to acknowledge, we fail to remember eternity. Friends, we remember, we tremble before men. We chase after things all for a security that they cannot provide. You've heard me say over and over and over again, and I will continue to say it over and over and over again. This Christian life is always reconciling the good and the bad of what we see in the world with what we know to be true 
the blessings that we receive, and also the hardships we face. We have to reconcile it all with the reality of what God's word says to us. No, we don't want to be so heavenly minded that we aren't any earthly good. God has given us responsibilities. He has given us things to do here, and we want to do those things. But let's be honest. I don't think very many of us are in danger of being that way, of too heavenly minded. We're pretty comfortable here. We, we are in danger of, 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 if anything, we're in danger of being too uh, satisfied here in this world. The call that Jesus is going to give as he continues on in this passage is that we better be ready. We better be ready for what's to come. We better be ready for eternity. And so I'll end with this challenge. Friends, how much would our anxiety, how much of it could we avoid? How much fear would be calmed if we only lived what we claim to be true? Let me say that to you again, because that, that, that hurts, but it's true. How much of our anxiety could be avoided if we would only live out what we say with our mouths is true? You know, if you were here Wednesday when Dr. Ackerman was here, I left this place, and Renee was at home with the kids, and I, I walked in the door, and I said, what are we even doing? What, what are we even doing in America as Christians? What are we even doing as a church? When you think about the, the way that the Holy Spirit is moving in those places, the, thing that, the things that God is doing there, it's amazing. And if you heard Dr. Ackerman's story, it's not because it's easy. It's not because they have an abundance of things. They don't. But it's because they are doing all things for eternity. The, the things that they're doing at the hospital, the things that they are doing with those nurses, the machines that they're building, all of that stuff. He kept saying it over and over and over again. It's for God's glory. They're living for eternity. Because that's what we need. We need to realize who we are in Christ. We need to live that way. We need to live like we know this world is not the end. We need to live like our souls are eternally secure because of what Christ has done for us. We stand here and we confess it week after week. When will it move from our heads to our hearts and then into our actions? So let me ask, will we change our perspective? That's, that's, what our, that's the only cure, and I'm, I'm jumping ahead, but that's the only cure for our anxieties, for our fears. We have to keep in perspective the reality of our life. So will we change it? Will we live like this is not our home? And God has given us the assurance through Christ, through our Lord, that that is true, that, that eternity is the reality. And so may we learn to fear only him, and may we learn to covet only him as we pray together. Father, we do. Uh, ask that you would be at work in our hearts in a mighty way. Uh, Lord, we, we live in a place where we are thankful to live, uh, where we bless your name because you have blessed us so richly. And yet, Father, all of these things, they are constantly pulling at us, uh, constantly uh, pulling for our devotion, for our love. Uh, 
Lord, we are always tempted to build idols out of these created things. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to remember who we are in Christ Jesus, that you would help us to remember that eternity awaits us, and, Lord, that we would live as your people like that is the case, uh, that we wouldn't just live for temporary pleasures, for things that are going to be gone one day, but, Lord, that we would store up treasures for ourselves in heaven, that we would live for eternity. Uh, Lord, make this the reality. Uh, we can't do this ourselves. The, the truth is, is we fail at this over and over and over again. And so we need your grace. Uh, we need your mercy. Work in us in a mighty way. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we